For our last number, I'd like to ask your help. For the people in the cheaper seats, clap your hands. <laughs> and the rest of you, if you just rattle your jewellery. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. We're doing something new. This is the 80th episode of the podcast, and what I've decided is that every once in a while on the podcast, I'm going to do an episode of The Internet Says It's Not True, sort of a Snopesy myth-busting about something that people seem to think is true but is not And when I do these episodes, we won't bring a guest on. It'll just be me being one of those liberal fact-checkers that your aunt warned you about on Facebook. So today is the first episode of The Internet Says It's Not True. It's Opposite Day. And I'm your host, Kent Michaels. Hey, Michael, it's Sean. There's this legend that when the Beatles first appeared on Ed Sullivan, there was an entire hour where New York City reported zero crime. I'm not sure if it's right for your podcast or not, but thought I'd send it in. Thanks. If you've ever watched Stephen Colbert do his monologue every weeknight on The Late Show, or David Letterman for 22 years before that, the very floorboards on which they were standing were witness to one of the greatest moments in television history. Right there on that stage at 1697 Broadway in New York City, the Beatles made their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. And this claim is that the broadcast was so popular, so well-viewed, that for an hour from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, there was no crime reported in New York City. But could that really be true? The whole endeavor started the year before, in 1963, when Jack Babb went to London. He was the talent booker for The Ed Sullivan Show, and he had been invited by Peter Pritchard, a talent agent who was friends with the Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein. The young talent booker wasn't big on the idea of booking The Beatles at first, They had a couple hit songs in a chart-topping album, but they weren't known to most Americans. But that fall, their popularity throughout the UK started skyrocketing. When they appeared on the British show Val Parnell's Sunday Night at the London Palladium, it was broadcast live and 15 million viewers watched. Every major newspaper started talking about the Beatles, and it was then the Daily Mirror coined the term Beatlemania. They were even invited to perform before the royal family. They could sell out clubs in the UK, but Beatlemania hadn't spread to the States in 1963. Had it been eight years earlier, Ed Sullivan may have never had a teeny bopper act like the Beatles on his show, but since then, he had invited Elvis Presley on his show and 60 million people tuned in to watch. He originally didn't want Elvis on his show but his competitor Steve Allen brought him on and surpassed Sullivan's ratings that week. That was enough to get him to change his mind and pay Elvis $50,000 to appear. So eight years later, the idea of showcasing a group like the Beatles didn't sound like such a bad idea. After all, soon after the Beatles appeared on the Palladium show to an audience of 15 million, they completed a tour in Sweden and Ed Sullivan just happened to be at London Heathrow Airport when the Beatles returned from their Swedish tour. What he witnessed firsthand was crazy. The airport was flooded with more than a thousand fans waiting outside in the rain to see the Fab Four return home. Ed Sullivan saw the ratings potential. While Elvis was a huge star already, the Beatles were an unknown to most Americans, so they struck a deal for three total appearances on the show for $10,000. 
The Beatles were interested in using this as a platform to really kickstart their popularity in America. According to one of Ed Sullivan's program coordinators, Vince Calandra, the Beatles were, quote, all very professional, very respectful. He said, they weren't like other groups that came in whose attitude was, okay, let's go do the Sullivan show and then sell a bunch of records and then on Monday morning, we're all gonna go to the dealership and buy our new cars. The Beatles wanted this thing to work. The deal was struck in November of 1963 to have them appear. And between then and February, their song, I Wanna Hold Your Hand, had been released and hit the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Things were shaping up for their first television appearance in America to be a huge hit. And Beatles aficionados will be quick to point out that the Ed Sullivan appearance wasn't actually the Beatles' first time on American television. Just one month before the Ed Sullivan appearance, Jack Parr played some footage of the Beatles performing. He took the footage on a trip to London and played it on his American show to make fun of them. He had no idea. So yes, Jack Parr first played them in America, but their first actual in-person appearance was on Ed Sullivan in February. Their reception at JFK Airport in February was pandemonium. 5,000 screaming young fans greeted them, almost causing a riot. Just six days earlier, I Wanna Hold Your Hand had landed the number one spot. Two days later, they appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. They ran through a rehearsal. Now, George Harrison was sick with strep throat and 104 degree fever, so he stayed in the hotel room during rehearsal. Program coordinator Vince Calandra put on a Beatles-style wig and stood in for him. George arrived later to do a camera rehearsal, and then the final show would go on at 8 p.m. George was the youngest of the four at 20 years old. Paul was 21. Ringo and John were 23. When Elvis had appeared on the Ed Sullivan program in 1956, the show received 7,000 requests to be one of the lucky people to sit in the 728-seat studio audience. For the Beatles, they received 50,000 ticket requests. In addition to Jack Parr's daughter, Randy, Richard Nixon's daughters, Julie and Trisha, were in the audience that Sunday night. At 8 p.m., the show began. When you listen to the studio audience, you can hear the excitement in the many teenage fans in attendance. It sounds a little different than the Ed Sullivan audience would normally sound. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan! You know, something very nice happened, and the Beatles got a great kick out of it. We just received a wire, they did, from Elvis Presley and Colonel Tom Parker, wishing them a tremendous success in our country. And I think that was very, very nice. Now, tonight, the whole country is waiting to hear England's Beatles, and you're going to hear them, and they're tremendous ambassadors of goodwill after this commercial. You can just hear all those young fans. The suspense built, and after that first commercial break, Ed Sullivan came back with their introduction. Now yesterday and today our theater's been jammed with newspapermen and hundreds of photographers from all over the nation, and these veterans agree with me that the city never has witnessed the excitement stirred by these youngsters from Liverpool who call themselves the Beatles. Now tonight, you're gonna twice be entertained by them. Right now and again in the second half of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! That's They played All My Loving, Till There Was You, and She Loves You in their first segment. The producers displayed the first names of the Beatles on the broadcast as the camera cut to each member of the band. Under John, they added the words, Sorry girls, he's married. He had been married to Cynthia for two years prior. 
The reaction from the live studio audience was the same as what the Beatles had become accustomed to. The screaming was so loud, Ringo couldn't hear the rest of the band. They could only hear his cymbals, and he watched Paul's foot and John's bouncing for the beat. In the second half of the show, the Beatles played I Saw Her Standing There and their number one hit, I Want to Hold Your Hand. That was what they had tuned into to see. And when I say they, I mean 73.7 million viewers at home. Almost 40% of the U.S. population was watching. There were more live viewers of this show than there were people in the U.K. While teenagers loved it, they were panned by critics who hadn't yet caught Beatlemania. When Newsweek magazine came out on February 24, 1964, it reviewed the performance. Quote, Visually, they are a nightmare. Tight, dandified, Edwardian beatnik suits and great pudding bowls of hair. Musically, they are a near disaster. Guitars and drums slamming out a merciless beat that does away with secondary rhythms, harmony, and melody. Their lyrics, punctuated by nutty shouts of yeah, 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 are a catastrophe. A preposterous farrago of Valentine card romantic sentiments. The odds are they will fade away as most adults confidently predict. End quote. Now, there are a handful of media reactions to the February 9th appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show that are similar. They were called a fad. The fact that young people screamed for these guys and older people didn't understand it absolutely drove these critics crazy. But history has judged the Beatles and their first appearance on Ed Sullivan as anything but a fad. In fact, if you look up a list of most important television music moments in history, this appearance almost always tops the list. Dan Aykroyd, the famous comedian, remembers watching as an 11-year-old. He said, oh man, I remember that Sunday night. We didn't know what had hit us. Just sitting there watching Ed Sullivan's show, up until then there were jugglers and comedians like Jerry Lewis, and then suddenly, the Beatles. But was a viewing audience of 73.7 million people enough to actually put a temporary halt to crime in New York City? After the break, we'll find out. Everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts forever. And if you want to enjoy life, you've got to take a leap and live in the moment. One Week Tees is a new t-shirt company that takes that idea to heart. Every week they release a fun new design on a t-shirt, then they permanently retire it after one week. If you don't jump on it, you miss out on it forever. So in effect, every t-shirt they sell is limited edition. At noon every Monday, the new design gets released and the old one goes away. It's a pretty great idea, especially if you want to have a shirt that you can almost guarantee no one else will have. Check out One Week Tees on Facebook and Instagram to see their new design each week. It's the number one week tees. Or check out their website at oneweektees.com. And because you listen to this podcast, use the promo code INTERNET to get 10% off your order. The link is in the show notes. I've been traveling again lately, and that means I've been wearing my Scotty Vest jacket, which is awesome for anyone who sort of lives life on the go like I do. It's been awesome for traveling around because it's got tons of pockets for all my gadgets, my phone, my glasses, my wallet, my charging cord, you name it. It's a clothing company I believe in, and I'm confident they've got an article of clothing that you'll love. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. To get 15% off your order, visit the link in the show notes. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. 
Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Let's get back to the story. It was the most watched television program in history. Ed Sullivan's show topped the charts, beating out all the famous television shows of the time. There wasn't another show with that many viewers until the series finale of MASH beat the record almost 20 years later. It was a big moment for America. Many people saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan as sort of a high moment after the low moment that had come just several months before when President Kennedy was assassinated. A lot of people believed that their popularity in America was due to a public need for something positive and uplifting. But there's this legend about New York City crime, and that's what this episode is about. Is it possible there were no crimes committed in New York between 8 and 9 p.m. on February 9th of 1964? Lots of places around the internet make that claim, and it was a popular legend for years. In 1994, the Chicago Sun-Times printed the legend as fact, as did many other publications. Even George Harrison repeats the legend on the Beatles anthology program. He says, quote, We were aware that Ed Sullivan was the big one because we got a telegram from Elvis and the Colonel. And I've heard that when the show was on the air, there were no reported crimes or very few. When the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, even the criminals had a rest for 10 minutes, end quote. This legend persisted and persists today. I recently saw a video on TikTok talking about it as fact. But guess what? It's not. The internet says it's not true. It didn't happen. First, let's look at the numbers. New York City's population in 1964 was just a hair under 15 million people. That was 7.8% of the total population of the country. So if 73.7 million people watched the show that night, that means around 5.7 million people were watching in New York City, statistically speaking. In other words, there were still about 11 million people in New York City out there available to do crimes during that hour. And what are the chances that the criminals were the same ones staying in and watching the Ed Sullivan show? Okay, so let's look at crime. I couldn't find statistics on 1964, but I found 1965, and there were 58,000 violent crimes and 495,000 property crimes that year. And remember, this was before Giuliani, quote, cleaned up New York. The old Giuliani, the mayor, regular old Giuliani before he presumably fell in a vat of acid and got turned into a supervillain. Anyway, the point is, it's unlikely that this is true. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. I turned to Snopes.com. That's right, good old Snopes, the website that hardcore conservatives think you can't trust. What do you think about that, Alex Jones? The piece of trash! That's what I thought. It turns out David Mickelson at Snopes did an article about this back in 2000. He found the truth behind what started this rumor. Not only is it not true, it started as a snarky comment from a journalist. Washington Post editor B.F. Henry hated the appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. His summary of the performance was similar to the one I read before the break. His next statement was meant as an insult. Henry said, There was only one good thing about the Beatles' appearance. During the hour they were on Ed Sullivan's show, there wasn't a hubcap stolen in America. Of course, he wrote it to mean that the Beatles fans were hoodlums. It was meant as a sarcastic insult. 
but it was printed in the Washington Post and repeated later in Newsweek. And if that's not enough to prove to you that this legend is just that, a legend, just a myth, the Washington Post's own Bill Gold went on to print a follow-up column several weeks after that disproves the story. I'll leave you with that follow-up statement. Quote, It is with heavy heart that I must inform Newsweek that this report was not true. Lawrence R. Felens of 307 East Groveton Street, Alexandria, had his car parked on church property during that hour, and all four of his hubcaps were stolen. The Washington Post regrets the error, and District Liner Felons regrets that somewhere in Alexandria, there lives a hipster who is too poor to own a TV set. Well, that is all for this week. Next week will be a completely different topic and back to our normal format, so send those in on our website. Thanks to Sean for today's topic. Here's a kid who thinks Ed Sullivan is a local car dealership. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new if the internet says it's true. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make the show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kicktrack. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Josh Libby and the Overtimers. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. <laughs>